You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Salzana. Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana. Each episode, we bring you industry stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation. And I have to say, I'm really, really excited today because my guest today is an old friend and previous Procter & Gamble colleague, Filippo Catalano. Hey, Filippo, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Tony. It's great to be here and I'll see you again. Yes, yes, absolutely. For our listeners, Filippo is the former global CIO at Nestle's and now the upcoming EVP and Chief Information and Digitization Officer at uh, Record Benkiser. You've had an incredible career over 16 years at uh, PNG between Italy and Switzerland and Cincinnati. And we kept running into each other all over the world, always working on the intersection between business and technology. And uh, after PNG, you had, I believe, about six years at Nestle. Is that correct? Correct. With, uh, um, almost six years. Yeah, with massive transformation of 5,000 people globally, first as a head of digital and later on as the global CIO. And uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to Record Bank Keezer. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic opportunity. How are you feeling? Oh, look, I'm feeling great. Looking forward to, to, to start. It's going to be at the 1st of April, so it's coming up soon. I stay in the CPG family, which is <laughs> the industry that I grew up in and I know well. And I, I hope I can make uh, you know good impact also in Reykjavik going forward. I, I'm sure. I, I'm going to be watching that space very closely. Also, for the benefit of our um, listeners, if you wouldn't mind, Filippo, tell us a little more about your background, because you've got a um, uh, fascinating background, my friend, cross-cultural, cross-domain. And share with us your journey from um, you know a fresh college graduate to EVP at Record Benkiser. So I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer from a study uh, perspective, always been inter interested in, uh, in technology from young age. I got a, my first Commodore VIC-20 when I was in 12. <laughs> I think a lot of us in my generation started with the, the advent of the first PCs in, in our homes. And I always been hacking and, and, and breaking things and to see how they work. And I, I brought up, I, I continuously built on this passion also in my professional life. I, I started straight out of university with PNG. It was the time of the big SAP waves at the end of, of the 90s. So I probably brought SAP in maybe 30, 40 factories, plants around the world. For PNG was a great experience as a young employee, young graduate to, to learn how big companies actually work in the major flows of the company. I then moved to pharma. At the time, PNG had a big pharma division where I had the chance to learn also the commercial part of technology, how you enable your sales force, how you work with data, in that case, healthcare, pharmacies, doctors uh, <clears throat> type of data. I was managing a, a call center with sometimes very angry uh, reps in the fields for the first time getting their laptops or any other pieces of technology. So I have to say I had to learn all the ropes of the Classic IT and uh, PNG was great as a school to, to, to learn that. I then moved to Geneva, where I, I was on a variety of assignments, always very close to the commercial functions in beauty care, in healthcare. It was the beginning also of the interactive marketing, as it was called at the time. Yeah. 
so our first forays into what you would call today digital e-commerce uh, and, and e-business. Right. I worked on innovation for, for the European team. And then I, I moved to uh, Cincinnati, where I did my tour of duty at the HQ at the Towers with a few assignments in enterprise architecture, but also in some of the major company digitization efforts in the go-to-market side for digitizing how to to do better communication and materials with the with, with sales team, but also on the brand side with the, and how you work better with agencies and on, on brand building. Yeah. And then I joined Nestle as the head of the digital capabilities, majorly right. focusing on consumer facing capabilities, omni-channel, MarkTech, media, IoT, websites, e-commerce, and, and so on for the first three years with a yeah. Lot of changes at scale, which you know, one one thing I loved about Nestle being the the biggest basically FMCG in the world was the ability to do the right things, but also to learn how to do them at scale right. to to have an impact. And then the last three years have been the global CIO as well, <clears throat> where we had driven a, a huge transformation of our own technology organization, introducing product management, introducing the concept of DRMs, introducing the concept of TCO to really okay. give transparency to the technology cost and also had to, of course, help the company to move forward across all the other accesses of digitization on supply chain, in manufacturing, in, in sales and uh, and few other domains like the, the big transformation on data. So I'm super, super happy on my work there, but also super uh, grateful of the opportunity of <clears throat> driving such a change at a, such a scale. Yeah, no, that's an incredible experience. There's always you shortchange yourself in terms of the impact you had both at Procter & Gamble and at Nestle. What a fantastic experience. And there's so many different ways in which we could take this, Filippo. But today I'm going to focus on, you know, one very narrow aspect of your very broad personal capabilities, which is data, because that's something that all of the changes that you've made in Nestle and Procter & Gamble and the broader industry, it's worth kind of focusing on. And I'd like to start with the fact that you are an evangelist for data for good, because this is obviously a, a relatively new concept, but it's extremely relevant for CIO and supply chain leaders, because we don't think of the data assets within our own companies as being a force for good. And so firstly, can you share a little more about what exactly is that concept and what should leaders be doing there? First of all, thanks, thanks, Tony, for the great introduction. Maybe a bit of a you know, background throughout my career, I've always been very close to, to data and innovation. In the early 2000s, I was, when I was at PNG, I was also running the computer vision, machine learning type of capabilities, with, which we were using in pharma, in beauty. So I'm a kind of an early passenger on the machine learning and artificial intelligence train, and also still a bit of a practitioner as well, which I think is good to, to keep you fresh on the things you can do. But one thing was clear for me across all of my professional path was that data by nature is neutral. You can do yeah. good things with, with data, you can do <laughs> bad things with data. And I think the, the industry we are in today needs to take a stance on how can we use data for, for the good of the companies, of course, that mm -hmm. we, we work for, but also for the broader society. I mean, without getting too much into politics and uh, that side of the data, we can see that data, you know, can be used and can be misused in various ways. So mm -hmm. 
I think as technology leaders, as evangelists, as change agents in, in the type of companies that we work, I think we have not just an opportunity, I think it's a bit of a moral obligation as well yeah, yeah. to find ways to drive the agenda of the data strategy, the data transformation, the artificial intelligence in a way that is going to be good for the company, but also is going to be good for the society and the world in a very general sense. And you created a uh, CPG forum for data for good. Isn't that right? Give us a few examples of how no. uh, this is used in CPG. Maybe I'll, I'll mention one example, which I think is a big priority in, in the world today and a big early passion of mine. Indeed, what I study is mechanical engineering <laughs> with environmental friendly energy production. And I think all of us today are challenged by the, the fact that the, the, the world needs to, to, to take a different trajectory when you think about global issues, global warming or um, the uh, pollution and plastic mm -hmm. and, and so on. One of the things I believe is that these are areas where companies shouldn't really compete on, mm -hmm. but instead they should partner to create a bit of a tide uh, that raises all the boats up. So my passion is how can we bring companies together so that we don't lose time, don't waste money, we don't go empty cycles trying to figure out things like data standards or data principles that help everybody in the end to move forward. There is a huge opportunity, especially in CPG. CPGs are companies that move a lot of raw materials, packaging materials, finished products. They are in the homes of billions of consumers around the world every day. Mm. And I think there is a huge opportunity for all of us on how do we use data and principles around data to make all of those flows, all of those chains uh, more resilient on one side, as we have seen a uh, big priority in the past 12 months, but also how we make them more efficient uh, so that we don't move around tracks half-filled with, with mm -hmm. air, for instance. Mm -hmm. and, that, and I call this concept the data for good concept. I think every company needs to seriously look from a technology point of view on how to create their own sustainability operating system, mm -hmm. which is a nice acronym for SOS, because it also gives us a bit of a <laughs> sense of urgency, urgency and, exactly. and, drive to, yeah. and drive to action. And there are a lot of opportunities in, the, in this space, but all they need to start from very solid foundations, both technically and also from, a, from an ethical point of view. Yeah. And this is really where your leadership is really appreciated because United Nations bodies and, and other forums like the World Economic Forums have set up sustainable SDGs, sustainable development goals, I think. But the foundation is missing and the foundation is going to come from operators, companies, just like we've had the GS1 equal standards for master data for some time. It is time, I think, for supply chain leaders and IT leaders to take the lead because nobody else is going to do that if it's not us. Filippo, this is one of the things I've admired about you. You take your passions and then you bring them to life through leadership. That takes me to another passion area that you brought to life. This is fascinating. So you took the framework of something called FAIR data, which is an acronym that uh, I'm going to ask you to talk a little more about which I believe was previously used in, is it the pharma industry or food? And uh, you championed it in all of CPG. So for our listeners, how did you latch on to, firstly, actually tell them what the idea is, what FAIR is, 
And then how do you latch onto this idea? And, um, you know, where has it taken your company? I think, first of all, just for the listeners, I will explain uh, this FAIR, F-A-I-R. The acronym stands for Findable, Accessible, Interoperable, and Reusable. And it's also nicely talking about FAIR as, a, as an adjective, right? I have to give full credit for my education and my introduction to this to my chief data and analytics officer at Nestle, Francesco Marsoni, which is also an ex-PNG, ex-Bayer which is one of the worldwide, let's say, leaders and practitioners in in this space. Mm. And the old concept here is to say, of course, you need to use data to create value in an enterprise. And we have seen more and more, and all of us that have been long enough in this type of jobs, we have seen that we, if we look at this on a siloed approach, on a functional approach, we will sooner or later hit the wall of the things you can actually do with data. And FAIR, this framework, is basically saying that to have a solid data strategy in a company, in an enterprise, mm. you need to have the, your data needs to be findable. Everybody mm. in the enterprise needs to know what is the data available to you as an employee to generate insights and value. It needs to be also accessible because if, it's, uh, if you need to spend two months to request authorizations to be able to, ac- to access a specific data asset is not going to bring value value at speed. So how do you, and this is culturally difficult for many companies, how do you reverse uh, the approach that you basically say every data is in principle accessible unless there is a, there is a reason not to, mm-hmm. okay? So you break the, the functional silos on that. The eye of interoperable is also very important. Today, all of our architectures as, uh, as digital companies are based on modular capabilities, APIs, microservices, and you cannot have data that sits somewhere and it can only be accessed through certain methods. So how right. do you have the same data asset that is available to different systems in the companies without building mm-hmm. pipes all the time? And the the last point is on the reusability. Today, it's a lot about internal data and and, and external data as well, even more after COVID, as we've seen from the need of companies to read the day-to-day situation by zip code, by border, or how things were were going. And importantly, each piece of data that you have in the enterprise that you can touch needs to be also reusable many times. Otherwise, you will not get enough value from the cost that you have of bringing one of, these, yeah. one of those data assets on board. So that, that's a bit of the general, general framework. And we have seen that if you do, if your intention is to truly become a data-powered enterprise, or as you can say, a cognitive enterprise or an intelligent enterprise, as some say, if you don't do the hard work of really fixing your foundations across those principles, you will very likely fail because you will hit the limit of what you can do with, with your data transformation. And, and this is really important because the concept of every enterprise is a data enterprise has been around for a long time, starting with General Electric now more than 10 years ago. But I, at the same time, there, there are these industry generalizations that only about 1% of all the data in the enterprise is used. And, and I think this is a challenge for every CIO and, and, and certainly, you know, for the planning area, supply chain, finance, and so on and so forth. How do you make the data findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable? So credit uh, to you guys at Nestle for actually taking on that very difficult challenge. So what benefits did you guys see as a result of 
going after this strategically? I think there are many benefits that will be realized along this type of journey. I think the first one is that, maybe I'll mention another thing I've learned over time, is that every enterprise of the, especially in the CPG world, in the, in the FMPG world, is, is very good at storing a lot of data, especially internal data. We all come with 15 years of history on how you build data warehouses, BI, reporting, and so on. But nevertheless, the, we only maybe, I don't know if it's 5%, but if you look at the value that you get out of it, probably is, is not a good equation. It's not a good balance yet. So uh, I think the first thing of having a good ent- enterprise level data strategy as I suggest, built on, on this FAIR model, is that you can unlock more value, okay? So instead of, be, you can become a real enterprise-driven from data, from a decision-making point of view, from an insight point of view, from a prediction point of view, from a prescription even point of view. So absolutely, there is a lot of value creation to be unlocked on, on that. I think the second big benefit, if you have, if you really manage data as a true asset to the enterprise, you do it for the internal data and you do it for the external data. You expand your opportunities exponentially. And mm-hmm. uh, you can connect to so many outside services that today are available, some free, some syndicated mm-hmm. data, some you pay, but will, that will give you a much better read of, of today, a read of the past when it's relevant sometimes, but also they help you to, to steer the, the boat real time. I think the, the other big benefit is the empowerment of the employees. All companies have fantastic employees with a lot of domain knowledge, with a lot of experience. And if you manage to bring them all to be able to use data in what you know some call the citizen analyst type of movement, again, it's another unlock opportunity of value that is huge. I'll give you maybe one number from Nestle, which is public and I can, and I can share. In our, let's say, visualization and citizen analyst type of capability, out of word of mouth and bottom-up adoption, over, I think, three years, we got into, I think, 45,000 monthly active users being people that are not in IT, they are, they are distributed in, in, in every function, that use those modular capabilities, the, the access to data, to build their own insights every month and share them when relevant with other people. This is, you know, if you do that at scale, you, you have, instead of having... 20, 30 data scientists, you have tens of thousands of employees that- Oh, they that's incredible. Yeah, that, that's, that's a lot of brain power, 45,000, yeah. Yeah, and you give them also, frankly, the chance to be much more impactful in their job every day. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, great, uh, it's a great part of the mission for me. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and again, I, I think this is a topic that's incredibly relevant as people struggle with how to kind of balance that dilemma between a lot of, it's like, you know, the old saying goes, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And, and I think that's basically what's happening here <laughs> with data, which is data everywhere, but not enough insights. Filippo, I'm going to pivot a little bit on a slightly different angle of data, which is ethics, because you're also a champion of ethics in data, especially in today's context with machine learning and and artificial intelligence and the concerns around ethics. Obviously, this is something that needs to be introduced in every company at the very early stages of transformation, because otherwise, once you've actually built all of the models, it's very difficult to change it. Um, 
you know, bias removal, black box effect on talent, things like that. Everybody's struggling with this. Now, you've again had the opportunity to do some really good, I would say, leading edge work on this at Nestle. A few principles, reflecting some of this into the company's manual. So tell us a little more about, first off, what do we as tech leaders need to watch out for uh, when it comes to ethics? And then secondly, what's your advice? How do we tackle this? That, that's a great, that's a great topic and a great introduction to the, to the topic. I'll answer maybe mentioning two important principles. I think, first of all, we are all humans and as humans, we have evolved actually to use bias to our yeah. advantage survival. Yeah. So yeah. I think if you look at behavioral science, the, the, the fact that we tend to use bias to survive, to help us in split-second decisions, this is something that is part of our nature. But with technology, the, the risk is that you don't do it once as an individual, you, you do it millions of times as an algorithm. Mm -hmm. So we cannot afford to have the same level of preconceptions and biases in the way we use data and machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, especially in the enterprise. I think the other premise for me is that in technology, we always felt, hey, we need to catch up on something. We're going to do things in this, maybe taking a bit of a shortcut in some cases, mm -hmm. because we need to go to the MVP, to the value and so on. And, and you build what uh, you commonly call the, the technology debt in your technology stack maybe and while technology debt is fine and you can try to address it over time with specific initiatives you, you can bring everything more current you maybe can leapfrog on on that so the, you cannot do the same on ethical debt once mm -hmm. you have ethical mm -hmm. debt is mm -hmm. there it's very difficult to to remove it's ingrained very deep into routines into algorithms into models and so you need to be super careful on not allowing ethical debt to, to mm. start even to, to, to creep into your, into the way you, you look at this kind of problems. What I've done in, in my previous job and the partnership of the data organization and the legal organization as well, which uh, looks after legal and privacy, and of course, all the external regulation and how we, we comply uh, to the current and upcoming, let's say, legal frameworks that every country mm. is trying to catch up on. We had decided to say, look, on, on this topic, as we need to be upfront and look at, as some of the major technology companies have done, we need to define what our ethics principles in how we mm. use data and machine learnings are, mm. uh, take some tough decisions to, to be very clear of what's in and what's out, align those with the company values and, and principles and also publish that and make it mm -hmm. very open to employees and outside of the company. And indeed, we even made it part of what companies normally call the you know, company business principles or mm -hmm. business conduit manual, depending on the company, mm -hmm. but to really put it front and center, really at board level on, on how we declare we're going to use data uh, for the right things. And then under that, you need to look at how you're going to be removing bias, for instance, or how you are going to look at uh, and provide explainability and auditability for the machine learning models or other types of data capabilities that you have in the, in the company. And this is hard work to do. It requires a lot of alignment. It requires everybody in the different functions to step up to the, to the plate. It's not a comfortable area at the beginning. 
but it's a must that needs to be done in, in advance. And once you do it, it, it's also a great signal to the rest of the organization and the outside world uh, and the society that yes, their the data can be used in different ways, but there are principles that are going to govern that. I'm, I'm an optimist on, on the data side. There are uh, people seeding stories of machines taking over the world and uh, artificial <laughs> intelligence, uh, ge general artificial intelligence, which were far away still becoming the, the ruler of the, of the world. I, I think as a as a global society, we're much smarter than that, especially the younger generations. And we are going to we are going to land where we should be with data, AI, machine learning, automation being truly uh, a force for for positive change. You're not really afraid that the Mars rover is going to bring back along with it some aliens that we need to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure. No, I've watched enough of the science fiction movies to to see the possible plots uh, there. But no, not really. Not not really. Now, but all jokes aside, Filippo, the two principles that you talked about. Firstly, they, they, there is an issue of unconscious bias at scale. It's okay for one person to have some unconscious bias, but when algorithms have that, the you know ability to do harm is just exponential. And then your second principle of ethical debt, a lot of companies, tech companies are now struggling with this issue because once you have been labeled as perhaps not the most reliable from an ethics standpoint, especially in the consumer facing world, that is such a blow to your equity. And, and we as digital leaders uh, need to either be on the leading side for change, or then you're always going to be on the back foot. This is another area that I think your thought leadership is very much appreciated. So as you take all of the work, this collective work of the data for good and fair data and ethics, what advice would you give our leaders and, and not just technology leaders now, right from boards of directors to CEOs? What is it that you've learned over this journey in this area that you think they need to be aware of? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I would say the first suggestion, I, I feel it's a good one, is that as individuals, as leaders, we need to keep our curiosity up mm -hmm. because the pace of change is enormous and you need to be able to know what's going on and the more you stay plugged to understanding what, what's changing, the more you understand is not that scary or difficult yeah, yeah. In, in a way. And especially if you're in a leadership position or the organization, the rest of the organization looks at you for signals and, and direction. So definitely if you can be aware and uh, up to date with all, all that is coming across different horizons going forward, in this space, I think it's a huge, it's a huge benefit and it's a bit of a duty, I think, for me, for every technology professional and technology executive. This also allows, especially at the time where there is a lot of uh, misinformation about data and, and technology capabilities, also to be there to help to, you know, demystify some of the things in being publicized. And, I think it's uh, it's an important thing. Be always curious as a professional, regardless of where you are in your career, with about all the things that are that are coming. Maybe another suggestion is that there is not really a short a lot of shortcuts you can yeah. take. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, and, and and I've seen it. I've done it myself. Sometimes you feel that 
you can go faster if you do certain things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. In reality, in, in a lot of this space, it's better to go slower at the beginning mm-hmm. to go faster later. Because mm-hmm. if you lay the foundations in the right way, if everybody uh, agrees on the principles and on the direction, then it will be easier to, to, to make your journey. If you get challenge or you challenge yourself at every step forward anyway, because you didn't do your homework first, I think it's going to be a, a bigger issue. Investing in, in foundations, sometimes the invisible foundations that nobody talks about because they're mm-hmm. not uh, fancy and making the, the first page of the, of the news, I think that's, uh, that's for me the second big one. That's, that's great advice for all of us. And um, hey, with that, I think we're at time. But Filippo, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. But I really enjoyed getting into a very narrow area data. There's so many other topics that we could have picked. But I thought this is one that's very relevant, very timely. And uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. So before I say anything else, thank you for joining us today, Filippo. It's been a pleasure, Tony. And for all of our guests, hey, look, we enjoy bringing you great leaders like Filippo. Let us know what you think. And if you haven't already subscribed to our show, please do so. And remember, as always, until next time, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.